0: Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Golf Course Industry Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano. I'm here with my friend and our managing editor, Matt Lowell. Hi. And this is Greens with Envy, number 28, the four touchdown and four extra point edition. And wow, we have been to a lot of places lately, Matt.
1: The weather is warming up. Things are starting to open back up. I think I've been to five golf courses in the month of June. You've been to so many this month, we won't even get around to talking about them. That's going to be the next edition.
0: And let's get to the first one you visited in June. You got to go to a pretty special place, not far from where I grew up, a place that I actually have uh, some childhood connections with, but you got to see Fox Chapel Golf Club for the first time. Just take it away.
1: Beautiful facility. Beautiful. I guess it's technically a borough, not a town or even a village, the borough of... Fox Chapel and to drive through those hills at 5:30, 5:45 on a weekday morning, pull into the parking lot. I can't remember if it was between 6 or 6:30 and to spend most of a morning with Jason Hurwitz and his assistants John Shanty and Ryan Biernaski watching as the sun comes up over the course. There's no golfers out there. It was closed for a special event. It was just just a tremendous way to really tee off it was technically late spring but just a tremendous way to tee off a
0: summer of golf and golf travel and one of the first things you notice when you pull into the parking lot at fox chapel is the maintenance facility matt just kind (laughs) of give people some visuals and this is common at some classic clubs where there isn't as much land
1: yeah well Long term, who knows where that maintenance facility is going to wind up. But right now, it is right off the parking lot. It is right by the practice screen and the 18th green. It's right by the clubhouse. It is prime real estate. And honestly, it's probably not the best spot for a lot of the maintenance that they do because you have to wind your way throughout the course. There's not a cart path throughout the course. Um, and And... To get to some of the far-flung corners of Fox Chapel, probably not the best, but it is it is a facility that works for the moment for Jason and his crew, which I think he said is about 32 and then peaks at 38 at the height of summer. So they're doing okay
0: staffing-wise. Yeah, and there's a pretty heavily traveled road that goes right through the golf course and mm-hmm. holes two through six, which might be the most magical stretch on the entire golf mm-hmm. course. It, They're on the other side of the road. You do have to cross
1: very carefully if you're in a cart. And if you're walking, look to your right, look to your left. I don't know if that worked out with the panning. And then look to your right and your left again. Uh, It was only one day, but cars did tend to slow down. They're very cognizant that there is a golf course there and there are golfers. But it is one of those courses that... You have to cross a road to get to some other holes. Yes,
0: if it weren't a private club, I think the sign would say "Cross the road for the Punch Bowl, Eden, and Redan."
1: It was it was amazing. Yeah, the the Punch Bowl is on two, the Reverse Redan is on six, uh, a couple of the other iconic holes, and Tom Marzolf, who worked on the restoration with Jason Hurwitz, was on site that day. And one of the things he said was. Fox Chapel has a collection of template holes that many people just don't have. And so there is that punch bowl Green on two. There is that Reverse Redan on six. There's the Lion's Mouth Bunker, which is just tremendous, on nine. The Oasis Green on 11. The Bottle is probably the new signature hole, or at least what um, the club and, and PR folks are trying to promote as the signature hole. And it's beautiful. Bottle on 16, which has, uh, I think, what, three cross fairway bunkers, and then the biarritz on 17, which is the largest green in the state of Pennsylvania, and the largest
0: biarritz outside of the original at Yale Golf Club in New Haven, Connecticut. Matt, was that your first time on a Seth rayner design golf course? I think so. I think it was. You had the opportunity to write about Camargo Club a few years ago. I had a chance to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's one right there that you you had heard about. I have written about Rainers and I have
1: not, I don't think, been on Rainers before this because that, uh, that short, I think, three-pager on Camargo in late 2019, Camargo Club in, in Cincinnati, or right outside Cincinnati, um, definitely did not get a chance to get down there and visit that. So it was uh, an experience. It's, I think I was probably born a century too late. I was born in 1983, and I really, really dig the vibe of 1910s and 20s and 30s golf, the design, and the hickory, and yeah,
0: I feel like I should have been born in maybe 1883. Now that you've been on one, what do you think makes a, a Rainer special? Or what about Fox Chapel was special in your mind? Well, I think having folks
1: who work there who have an appreciation for the history and it doesn't necessarily always start with the superintendent or the director of agronomy but it certainly helps if they have bought all the way in and Jason Hurwitz there certainly did uh, tracking down a lot of old drawings and old photographs and working with Tom Marzoff on the restoration having people there who are invested in the club and also invested in the history certainly helps because without that attention to detail and without that recognition of history, it will be lost to time without that. It will eventually just become a really nice field in a rich Pittsburgh neighborhood. Um, So I think that's, that's probably the first thing is just getting the people on board who have an appreciation for that history if you have those people and you are able to maintain it, it's just the ability to hearken back decades or a century to a different time. You walk, I don't know, maybe two holes in, three holes in, certainly that two through six stretch across the street. There were points in time outside of being in a golf cart that I thought, well, I don't think this is 2021. There were, there were a few times when I thought, okay, I can see how this would have looked a hundred years ago. And that's special because that doesn't happen a lot of places. And it's, You have to be all in on nature. You can't have power lines or big buildings or you know, giant modern things coming out of the ground, whatever they are. And they've done a very good job at Fox Chapel over the almost century that that club has been open of maintaining that feel. So long-winded way of saying, I think that's what makes a Rainer special, is getting the right people to buy in, and then, or I should say, getting the right people on board, and then getting them to buy in, and then just
0: maintaining it as it was originally envisioned. I was fortunate enough to have a chance to caddy a little bit at Fox Chapel in Mm. the late 90s. And then I visited the course for the first time in more than 20 years last October, shortly after they concluded the restoration, and it was on airification day, so it was awesome to see Jason's team out there just hammering out uh, what they needed to hammer out uh, at the end of such a, a long and trying season and year in many ways for them going through a restoration while you know, COVID-19 was happening, and right. they also had extreme heat and the growing wasn't the easiest growing on the new turf so a uh, cool place and then I had the opportunity before I started my first full-time job out of college I was transitioning from an internship at the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and the last thing I covered in that internship was the 2002 Curtis Cup at mm-hmm. Fox Chapel and then a day later I started my first full-time job out of college at the Williamsport Sun Gazette so there, there were some personal memories there for me and it, I didn't know as much about golf course architecture, you know, tw- 20 years ago, you're a teenager, you're caddying, you know, you're, you're so focused on doing the right things for the members that you're serving that well, morning or afternoon that you don't really have, you don't really know what a Biarritz is, do you, when you're, when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, or even when I was 22, I really didn't know how, how special it was.
1: Well, in two, that's almost, I hate to age you, but that was almost 20 years ago, 2002, there certainly was conversation about golf course architecture, but I feel like the conversation has ticked up a lot since then. And maybe it's just because of the internet and and architecture buffs getting together and talking about course design and designers and everything. But was was the golf course architecture conversation as spirited or as robust in 2002 as it is in 2021?
0: No, absolutely not. And I think Everybody you talk to in the golf course arch- architecture community, and I'm fortunate enough to host our monthly podcast, Tartan Talks with American Society of Golf Course Architects members. And if you think about it, a lot of the work that they were doing in the 1990s and early 2000s were newer courses, uh, modern designs. And really, I would say that, you know, since the Great Recession, that's kind of when the the restoration move really started and it's picked up. Uh, real heavily in the last five or six years. And okay. with a lot of clubs approaching their 100th anniversary, it's not really slowing. I, really the only thing that's going to sl- slow down some of these restorations and projects at classic clubs that haven't done them yet is the ability to find uh, supplies and, and companies that have the capacity to do the work. So if you're at a club or a facility getting near your 100th and you're, you want to do some restoration work before that 100th and really – blow it out I would say get on that like tomorrow (laughs) or
1: today today's well we're recording this on a Friday so maybe you have to get ready for the weekend but we're dropping this on a Tuesday so
0: maybe you have time and another thing that really impresses me about Fox Chapel and Jason Hurwitz is it you know after Jason Hurwitz got the head job at Fox Chapel he was uh John Zimmer's lead assistant at Oakmont Country Club which is seriously like 10 minutes from Fox Chapel they're really close to each other and they couldn't be any more different a classic golf courses Jason took it upon himself to start studying the history of the golf course in fact he started studying the history of Fox Chapel and its architecture even before he landed the job because he knew that that would be a place that potentially he'd like to work and uh, he played a huge role in getting everything going and when I, I remember when I talked to Tom Marzoff uh, for the story that we ran last fall, he said, yeah, you know, Jason was as invested into a restoration as, you know, almost any superintendent he's ever come across. So that's a good lesson, too. If you're at one of those classic courses and that course might be thinking about going back to its original design or something close to its original design, you know, start studying the history, do your homework, you know, be ready to answer member questions, be ready to answer what, why this should be done and why this is the, the best think the club can do. There's
1: something to be said too
0: for a superintendent who
1: takes an interest in the history of the club and the course because if you do have that sort of restoration like Fox Chapel had you're going to not only just have more of an appreciation and an understanding of the course but you're going to maybe get even more of a say in terms of what the course looks like how it plays, and how it's maintained. And that's important. You'll be able to maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you'll be able to have a little bit more say in you know, how certain things are, are maintained on a day-to-week-to-month basis, and, and you'll be more involved there. You're not just getting the painting. You're involved in the canvas, and, and you're involved in not creating it, but in restoring it.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. Fox Chapel is a, a special place and a club that did the right thing. And speaking of going back in time, so we huh. a week after look at this transition, you were at Fox Chapel. We had an opportunity to go to an event where we saw a bunch of people wearing plus fours, right? Matt, right. This right. was your first Keepers of the Green outing, and um, it might be my last, unfortunately. What were your impressions of the event that? our friends Dr. Michael Hertzen and David Welchel had hosted for 20 of 21 years. Well, to come in on the
1: very back end, it is uh, Dr. Hertzen's and, and Mr. Welchel's last keepers of the green, most likely. They're, they're getting close to retirement age. They're ready to either end the tournament or, or pass it on to somebody who has interest in maintaining it and continuing it. Just what a great event to bring together a lot of folks who love golf a lot of great architects how many members of the asgca were there close to a dozen i was
0: i was just looking at the picture that i took from the event before we uh, went on the air here and there were nine asgca members there which is which is remarkable when you consider uh, how busy golf course architects are right now and how spread out they are across the country doing their work and that's nine out of what is it about 180 current members I don't think there's quite that
1: many active members, but yeah, somewhere around that. So, so somewhere around 5 to 7% of all current ASGC members were at the Golf Club of Dublin in suburban
0: Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, we saw Forrest Richardson. He came right. all the way from uh, Arizona to participate in the event. And of course, he's the president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. Right now, we saw our friend Jerry Lemons from Better Billy Bunker, who is an ASGCA member and was also a... Um, superintendent very early in his career. We heard some great stories from him at the reception after the, the golf tournament. We saw uh, Lester George came from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Britt Stenson, who is here in Northeast Ohio, used to work for IMG. He he was there. Uh, Doug Meiselinski, who works for Wadsworth now, he's an ASGCA member. Uh, he was there. Uh, Ron Winton was there. Uh, mm-hmm. He was in the picture we took with ASGCA members. Of course, he helped... Uh, Mike Hurtson and Dana Fry, design Aaron Hills, longtime architecture editor of Golf Digest, who recently retired. I think I'm leaving out some... Arch- oh, Clyde Johnston was there. He was a uh, recent Tartan Talks guest. Mm-hmm. He, he came from Hilton Head. So I'm probably leaving somebody out of the nine. I apologize for whomever that was, but it was awesome to see them get together and support it. They had... Uh, the tournament was sold out. It maxed out. Uh, Chris Hertzon was telling me, Mike Hurtson's son, who who also helps run the event. So a lot of money was raised and, you know, money was raised for great causes. The event supports the Special Forces Association uh, for Hope, which is a golf and wellness program. And of course, uh, the Clearview Foundation's great example of golf doing a lot of good. And yeah, we had a, a foursome there and we sponsored a hole. And our mighty foursome was easily the youngest foursome at the event, Matt. I think
1: we did okay, too, because it was best ball, so you didn't have to worry about me off the tee. I have a decent short game, but I'm not much off the tee. And I think, what did we do? Did we finish five under? Not that anybody cares.
0: Yeah, it's irrelevant, but we also brought our uh, young sales representative, who you know, people that listen to this podcast have heard him, Andrew Hurricane Hatfield. Mm -hmm. So the hurricane blew into the golf club of Dublin.
1: And he was pretty good off the tee. He might have had his best round off the tee ever and we
0: brought our intern uh jack leckler so he gets to go back to school here in august and tell his friends how he got to play in a golf outing in dublin with a bunch of golf course architects and people and people that work on the construction side and some superintendents and people that love the game and you know golf club of dublin is a great site for that event it's got that that irish feel although it's around a uh modern housing development, you know, surrounds the golf course. It, it's a golf development project. It was a Mike Hertz and Dana Fry course. And there's some revetted bunkers there. There's some wispy grasses. Mm-hmm. There's some wide fairways. There's some gigantic uh, greens and just a, a fun golf course that they have an outing at. And I'm sure it's a fun place to play on a daily basis. And you know, every time I go down to the golf club, club of Dublin, I just think of how popular that course might be. You figure a higher end public golf course, in a fast growing community like Dublin, Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's one of the fastest growing, it's a city now. Not only in the Midwest, it's probably one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. And to have that type of course there, I mean you're 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 talking I, I think a few years ago, Superintendent Eric Morrissey told me that they do over fifty thousand rounds. So it's a busy place. They have a practice facility you where You said
1: you said fifty five zero. Yes. Wow.
0: You got to remember uh, Columbus is a little bit warmer than where we live in Northeast Ohio, it's so about, it is
1: about six degrees on average, three to six degrees on average. They probably start yeah.
0: their season about two weeks before we do, and Makes sense. End it about two weeks later, so there, there's definitely a, a a bigger window for golf in Columbus than there is in you know other parts of the Midwest, and just a great event, great day, uh, great to see people together again because you know we had been to some events. I mean, I spoke at the West Virginia. GCSA conference in November and I had been out to some course visits, but really it was the first time that we saw a lot of these people since the 2020 golf industry show. So Mm -hmm. it was great to see them. And of course you you go up to somebody and you're not sure if you should, should do the, the wave, the fist bump, the handshake, the, the hug, you know, but it's starting to, it's starting to feel, like it did before again. And I, I think that that event, when we look back on uh, things really getting back rolling, I think for us as a golf course industry team, we're going to think of that day and, and Dublin and seeing some people that we had not seen for more than 15 months and shaking their hands and going to a reception and uh, sharing white castle cravers with them. That was one of the things that Dr. Oh, Hertz had right. brought to his headquarters. And, those. He brought a couple of crave cases. And Matt, that was your first time seeing the, uh, the Hertz headquarters. What, what were your impressions of, uh, where the reception was and where uh, Mike Hurdson's built a, a successful business.
1: Well, whenever Mike Hurdson retires and the Hurdson World Headquarters closes shop, that building either needs to remain a museum or the bulk of what is in that building needs to go to a museum that people will visit on a regular basis because that's what that is. That's an office... Or I should say, that's a museum that's masquerading as an office. There are desks in there. There is work that gets done in there. But if folks have never been to the Herdson World Headquarters, that's just a golf museum. And it is one of the more remarkable private collections of golf books and golf memorabilia. I mean, just just animation cells, cartoon cells of Warner Brothers and Disney and, and other famous characters golfing. That alone, there must have been... 50, 60 animation cells. And that's one tiny little thing. Uh, it's, it's amazing to go through uh, the library and even the non-books. There's a famous bobblehead maker, I think in Canada, named Catman. And I recognized there was a Tiger Woods Catman bobblehead. And those are very hard to come by because Catman only made 25 to 50 of each model. His Michael Jordans are revered. I think that Tiger was limited to 25, and now Catman has uh, some hand degenerative issues, I think, so he's not even making new stuff. There were four Tiger Woods TV guide covers. I hadn't seen a digest-sized TV guide in probably 15, 20 years. I used to save them every week and put them in the basement for a while, because of course I did. And that's, that's like the weird pop culture stuff. Take into account the architecture books and the history books and the... The course, uh, the club history books, uh, just—you could spend a month in there, and and still not get through everything. It's it's a
0: remarkable place. Yeah, and it was a remarkable uh, morning and afternoon for us. Uh, I think somebody on our team ate a lot of pancakes before the event. Uh, so our Ooh, team our team had that? a lot of fun.
1: But for the record, folks, if you ever have a chance to eat a meal with Guy Cipriano, just see if you can get him to order a giant platter of food. This guy, I think you ate what? Four and a half pancakes, all the sides. Was there bacon in there? I have photos of before Maybe and after.
0: some crumpled up, like candied bacon, uh-huh. but not actual strips of bacon.
1: This was this was a tray of food that could have fed two to two and a half people. Guy ate probably eighty five percent of it and it fueled him. And I don't think you ate for the rest of the day, at least until about 4 or 5 o'clock.
0: You, no, I hit the you, ball. You, you didn't eat lunch. I felt like I hit the ball more powerfully, but I also felt like I was sluggish. So, well, uh, they're the trade-offs danger. with everything in life. That's
1: the danger of carbo-loading, especially so close to an athletic endeavor.
0: Okay. Before we get to our next uh, <laughs> course visit or uh, that wasn't as good event a a, a appearance, a little bit of housekeeping here, so... We've completed our POA annual survey. Many of you probably got that in your inbox, and we had terrific response. We had more than 200 uh, completed surveys, which is just awesome. And thank you. the that. results from that will be uh, appearing in our August issue. But we're getting ready to, I have this in quotes, bug you to complete another survey. So we got an- another turf report running in our September issue. So be on the lookout for that in your inbox. And if you got the time, you know, take the three to five minutes to complete it, and you'll have a chance to win a... Uh, Bellas gift card, which we know people in this industry like to hunt and fish and camp and enjoy the outdoors. People in a lot of industries. But especially this one, because people get into this industry because they want to be outside. Hopefully everybody enjoys being outside. The outdoors are great. If you don't get out there as much as you should, do it, especially on your time away from work. Uh, We have some other podcasts. Now, the aforementioned Tartan Talks podcast just had its fifth anniversary episode. I'm editing that as we speak, and that will be dropping shortly. We have the Beyond the Page podcast, which Matt hosts. That's a supplement to the print edition. We also have the Off the Course podcast sponsored by AquaAid Solutions. That's also hosted by Matt. I think he get a theme here. Matt does most of the podcast work for us. And uh, Off the Course is obviously a look at uh, somebody's interest or hobbies away from golf course maintenance or golf course design. We have a bunch of uh sponsored podcast series. Uh, Matt is working on a more than turf series with FMC and the second episode with Matt Schaefer just dropped. So give that a listen.
1: That has been a really fun series. There's two more to come this year. We
0: have the disease discussion podcast sponsored by BASF, great technical information. And we'll have a few other fun things dropping here. Oh, and yeah, also some of you may only know us from this podcast or social media. We also have a print magazine. Go figure. That's how all this fun started. And if you're not aware of it, you can go to golfcourseindustry.com, hit the subscribe button, uh, fill out a few questions, and get a print magazine sent to you every month. Or so- if you
1: don't want the actual print magazine, the entire contents are up online at golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. The July issue We'll be going up shortly. Another great cover story.
0: Really liked the July issue. So enough with that. Uh, Matt and I recently went back to a televised golf tournament for the first time in a long time. The Bridgestone Senior Players Championship at the Firestone Country Club South Course. The course that we believe has been on TV more than any golf course
1: in the world. Well, you wrote that in your february i can never say february in your february cover story about the club and everything that larry napora and his crew is doing there do you remember in your reporting who told you that that firestone had been on
0: tv more often than any other course you, you just think about it so firestone country club has hosted a uh, touring professional golf tournament every year since 1954 mm-hmm. golf really started its tv era in the 1960s so, what other golf courses continually hosted a televised event? Every year. People would say Augusta National, but you got to remember that Augusta National's TV windows, really until the last decade, were really limited to the back nines on Saturday and Sunday. That's mm-hmm. all anyone got to see of Augusta National on TV. So, it was on TV, what, six to eight hours a year, essentially? Yeah, I, I mean, so. you yeah. could say Pebble Beach, but Pebble Beach, you know, had not always been the host of the. Well, I mean, it was called the Bing Crosby Pro-Am that name has changed a few times since those days and also when they host that event a few other golf courses are used so that the cameras just aren't on Pebble Beach um, you know Riviera has been on TV a lot but we believe that Firestone Country Club has probably been the site of more televised golf with touring professionals than any course you got to remember in the uh, 60s and 70s too uh, CBS used to film made for TV mm-hmm. matches there and they would film them in the fall and not air them until like the winter or spring. So that's, you know, hundreds of hours of TV right there. It was called the CBS golf classic. So it's just been on TV so much. And also after that cover story appeared in February, I never got a note or an email from from anybody saying that that's not true. Well, if you didn't get any notes, then the old course at St. Andrews, of course, they only host the open championship every five or six years So if you really think about it, what what course has been on TV more than Firestone? So Matt, I believe that, boy, this is a month of firsts for you, first Rainer, but I believe that was your first walk around Firestone too.
1: It was the first walk around Firestone, and it was the first time that Margot, my daughter, who's almost five, had been on a course with other people. She had been on a, a
0: beautiful,
1: beautiful, perfect, very private course last year uh, that I am legally required to not talk about. We'll leave it at that. Uh, but, and she loved that. And so based on that experience, when I asked her if she wanted to go to a golf course on Saturday, she said, sure, absolutely, let's go. And I don't know what she expected, and I don't know what I expected, but we, we parked in the free general parking. We took the school bus shuttle over. It was her first time on a school bus, actually, too. She's going to walk to kindergarten starting in the fall, which will be great. And before we even saw one player tee off, or maybe we had seen John Daly tee off. John Daly, for the record, finished 33 over. I I checked the results. He wasn't DFL, but he was pretty close to DFL. He, He shot 73, 81, 79, and 80, but he still had a following. Um, we, I think we had seen John Daly tee off. Margo saw the concession stand and she immediately requested food. So before we had even gotten out to a hole, I thought, well, this will, this will fuel her. She had a hot dog and most of a chocolate, chocolate muffin. And she was sitting in the rocking chairs at the turn. I finally had to get her like, Margo, we got to go for a walk. And we walked out to six, which is a fair, fair walk from the turn and it's probably the furthest point on the golf course from it, the clubhouse it probably is our friend Lee Carr uh, who contributes to the magazine regularly was volunteering on the sixth hole on Saturday and Sunday and so we went out and saw her and thanked her and Margot made me carry her back for a while but uh, between the hills and some sore Achilles and the fact that the kid weighs almost 50 pounds uh, she didn't get carried very far she doesn't want to be carried on shoulders which is a big detriment to being carried. I can't
0: even begin to imagine taking a five-year-old to a televised golf tournament. I mean, I had a tough enough time taking Andrew Hatfield, who's in his late 20s, to a televised golf tournament. Andrew, if you're listening, I'm just joking here. <laughs> but I just can't even imagine that, Matt. How did you even get her to stay quiet and stay around for as long as you did? There Besides were, bribing bribes. There, there, well, so Summa Health,
1: which is a local – local uh, health company, was handing out sunglasses and these little squishy golf ball keychains at the entrance. She grabbed one on the way in, and that actually held her attention for a lot as we were waiting at various holes. And I made her kind of be aware a little bit, as much as a five-year-old can be, of what's going on at the tees and in the fairways and especially on the greens. And if we saw anybody who was getting a club in their hands, I'm like, Shh, shh. I'm pointing her up to watch the shot, but also make sure that she knows that she needs to be quiet. And she did, she did pretty well. She did pretty well. I don't think we got any dirty looks and she actually did get one ball. So Billy Andrade, who's probably not listening. Billy Andrade. Did I say Andrade?
0: Billy, if you're listening, Matt apologizes.
1: You know what? I'm a pro wrestling fan. And, uh, there's a, there's a wrestler named Andrade El Idolo, so I'm going
0: to blame that. I also didn't watch golf in the 90s. I watched too much golf in the 90s, and I watched too much golf in the 2020s. I guess some things never changed, but you know, that was kind of the cool thing. I, I, it was the first time I had been to a PGA Tour Champions event, probably since the 90s when there was the Pittsburgh Senior Classic and it was the first time that I had been to a golf tournament since uh, doing a work project at the oh. 2019 uh, CP Women's Canadian Open. So you know, yeah. it had been a long time. And it was the first sporting event that I had been to, I believe, since a uh, Cleveland Cavaliers game in November 2019. So wow. really, when was the last time you were at a at a televised sporting event with a crowd like that, Matt?
1: Hmm, That's a good question. I, don't know, I haven't been to any baseball haven't been to basketball haven't been to fo- I, football I don't I don't know
0: I'd and have it, to look it up it felt totally normal to me I mean they do such a mm-hmm. outstanding job of running professional golf tournaments at Firestone Country Club it's like clockwork they've been doing it for years and uh, I I kind of felt like I was back in time though because I got into golf in the mid-90s and one of the groups that Andrew and I followed for an extended period of time were Jim Furyk and Ernie Els, and I remember the first professional televised golf tournament I went to was the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont Country Club in Pittsburgh, and that was won by Ernie Els, so I kind of yeah. had memories of that following him around, and then uh, memories of watching Jim Furyk play in a, a pro-am that they did a few times in the late 90s at Nemecone Woodlands Resort in the Mystic Rock Course. After that Pete Dye design open, they had some charity outings there, and Tiger Woods played in the outing one year, and John Daly played in one of those outings. And speaking of John Daly, we Andrew Hurricane Hatfield had never seen John Daly in person, so mm. he wanted to follow it for a few year, uh, few holes. <laughs> and we did. We got there early, and they were one of the first groups on the course. Mm-hmm. So they not a lot going on when you get to a golf tournament it's super early, like like us diehards do. And uh, we followed Daly for I think the fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth holes. Okay, and he was playing with a somebody by no doing of his own, has kind of become a viral cult celebrity, Jadon Blake. And the reason Jadon Blake is so popular is because Club Pro Guy's favorite player is Jadon Blake. So Jadon Blake is known by all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that follow Club Pro Guy. So there, Jadon Blake's playing with John Daly. And, you know, John Daly's taking the golf cart, and he's just zipping from shot to shot. He's not even taking practice swings. And on the 18th hole, we're standing right by the tee. Puts a, a tee shot into the trees on the left. I mean, the 18th at Firestone bends to the left. It's completely tree-lined. It's one of the, uh, you know, really difficult finishing holes in golf. And uh, yeah, puts the the ball. Daly puts the ball into the trees on the left and just mumbles to no one in particular. Glad I never have to play this course again. So I think that was the last time we all we will see John Daly at Firestone. <laughs> Country Club, I, I'm sure he's played dozens of rounds there over the years. If you think about the uh, the NEC World Series of Golf in the 90s and the NEC Invitational, and it became that until 2005. Then, it, of course, it became the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. So John Daly's had his fill of Firestone. But uh, one thing we should mention is that Larry Napora. Uh, the director of golf course operations, uh, Tim Grubers, the south course superintendent, uh, Renee Guyers the Fazio course superintendent, and Scott Trappigan is the north course superintendent. What a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. They did uh, dry week. Uh, Larry said that they had the, the ideal weather, but like most golf maintenance teams right now, they're extremely short staff and just can't find the number of people that they thought they were going to be operating with this year. Uh, they even took tournament volunteers maintenance for the first time since Larry's been there, Larry always left it up to a vote of his team, you know, whether they wanted people to come tournament week. And the team always had a great sense of pride in doing it without outside help. They needed some outside help this week. And for the, for the event and they, they got it. And, uh, you know, just a, another unbelievable course presentation and playing conditions. It's like, you know, you had the striped fairways, the intermediate cut of rough into the, regular Cutter rough. the rough wasn't as nasty or gnarly as it was when the uh the the younger players played there for the WGC Bridgestone Invitational but the rough still had some bite you know the greens were really firming up by Sunday and just you know Firestone is timeless it's it's like th- the same thing every year and it's what you remembered it being you know 10 years ago and it's what you remembered what you saw on TV in the the mid 90s so just a great chance to to walk around there. And I was there last October working on that story, but it was great to see um, fans back at a, at a tournament at Firestone. And, you know, every time we talk about Firestone um, we must emphasize that the PGA tour, if anyone from the PGA tours listening, please go back to Firestone South. It's one <laughs> of the, the great tournament venues. It was really unfortunate that it became a money game and a sponsor game and Firestone, Lost its, you know, prestigious event, the WGC Bridgestone Invitational. Having the Senior Players Championship is cool, but it's not quite the same as having the PGA Tour. So, uh, hopefully, the PGA Tour comes back to Firestone Country Club, and I know they are trying to get some events, and they're they're really aggressive. So, that's enough of that
1: rant. And before we switch gears one more time, uh, I had mentioned that Margot. Got a ball from Billy Andrade, not Andrade, again, sorry, Mexican pronunciation. So Billy Andrade uh, noticed her and, and tossed her one of his balls that he had just uh, putted out with, a highlighter yellow ball with a little red mark on it. There was obviously the, the kid-friendly fair, the hot dogs, the muffins. They had a little nine-hole putt-putt course set up in the parking lot that Margot played twice. Obviously, being outdoors in general was really cool for her. So, you know, it's anecdotal evidence. But we've talked a lot over the last year, year and a half, about growing the game and and getting new people out. Well, you can't get much newer than a five-year-old who doesn't know how to swing a club on a putt-putt course. And for it being her first live golf, tournament golf experience, I thought it went really well. I think she'll be back. And again, that's just one kid. But I think all in all, golf as an as an entity, as an entire sport, I'm sure it varies from course to course, but this was a this was a pretty great job on the whole to appeal to and attract really young fans. I th- I thought it was really well done. So there
0: are two LPGA events, Matt, mm-hmm. in the Toledo area coming up. Mm-hmm. There's the Marathon Classic at Highland Meadows Country Club. Greg Pattison's the superintendent, hosted every year. In fact, there's a Lydia Ko Drive in Sylvania, Ohio. <laughs> and then about a month and a half after that uh, is the Solheim Cup at Inverness Club in mm-hmm. Toledo, hosted by uh, superintendent, John Zimmers, and his team. So if you're looking to take a road trip with your daughter, although I can't imagine driving an hour and a half to Toledo and having a 5 year old again walk around a golf tournament if eh, she wants to see some of the, some of the women's stars they're they're, they're going to be in Ohio soon we might have to do that i'll i'll bring the tablet to keep her occupied in the car so toledo's west of our golf course industry headquarters matt you took a trip east of our headquarters to batavia new york buffalo new york and you want me to say this East Aurora, New York, even though East Aurora is a suburb of Buffalo. And I thought if we just would say Buffalo, that would encompass it. But you were very specific that you wanted East Aurora to get some geographic love on this podcast. So uh, tell our listeners about the journey that you took with, again, Hurricane Hatfield. He's making this podcast a lot. And you brought the intern, Jack Leckler. What did you see and what did you learn on that trip? Right. I wanted to kind of wear those guys
1: out for a 36-hour stretch. So You didn't invite me. You didn't ask. Well, the other thing too is the whole the whole purpose for the trip was you had the winning bid at rounds for research at Terry Hills Golf Club in Batavia, New York, and that is where our I think everybody's friend Thad Thompson on Twitter at Terry Hills Maint M A I N T has been for gosh I don't know more than a decade. So we reached out to him. And we wanted to not just play Terry Hills, but we wanted to play Terry Hills with Thad. And that's 27 holes. Thad, a recent guest on Off the Course as well. His son, Dylan, is the drummer in a metal band called Invictra, which is going on tour in January, by the way, uh, across New York and, and the eastern part of the Midwest. And we wanted to play Terry Hills with Thad. And so brought Jack, brought Andrew, and we... We didn't want to be rude. We didn't want to five some. And you've, you've hung out, I think, with that before, right?
0: Yeah, you're nodding your head. Yes, I was in New Jersey and Philadelphia. That's honestly why I didn't make the trip. And, well, there's that too. And and Matt, Andrew, and Jack deserved to t-
1: take a trip like that. So we went out. We played 27 with that. An incredible place. I have a story coming up shortly on the website about that golfcourseindustry.com. That is just. Tremendous, tremendous fun to be around. And we didn't want to just race home, so I looked at what else was going on. I had just written a story about the 2020 endured by minor league baseball groundskeepers, and one of the folks I talked with was Kel Rensell, who had been at a low-A club, the uh, Great Lakes Loons up in Midland, Michigan, and he had just been hired by the Buffalo Bisons. Well, the Bisons have been displaced, and they're playing their season in Trenton, New Jersey. Kel is still there, and he's, Basically, the groundskeeper for now, the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have sent down their their own groundskeeper from Toronto, but Kel is basically in charge of the day-to-day on that playing surface at Salem Field. So we went to a Blue Jays-Orioles game. We met Kel and his assistant, Nate Rivera, for lunch the next day. Had a great conversation about sports turf and uh, the continued blending, the continued interaction between sports turf and golf course maintenance. And before that, on the uh, morning of the second day, we went out maybe 25 minutes to East Aurora, which had, driving out there, had some very heavy borough of Fox Chapel, Pennsylvania vibes. Nice, nice area. To get a nice course tour with Thad's younger brother, it's getting killed Thad when I say that, 15 months is their difference, with Thad's brother, Drew Thompson, Uh, who's at East Aurora Country Club. And and what a beautiful, beautiful place that is. I think it really wowed Andrew Hatfield. Andrew hasn't been on a lot of uh, private courses. He's played a lot of public, but he hasn't done too many private visits yet.
0: I mean, he's less than two years into being a golfer. He's got time. Yeah.
1: And just that whirlwind of playing 27 at Terry Hills, going to a ball game, Spending time at East Aurora, and then having a great lunch and conversation about the industry, it was a tremendous, tremendous trip. Uh, there's going to be plenty that comes out of it, uh, story-wise, photo-wise. I still have some tweets and photos I need to put up at GCI Magazine on Twitter. What a what a what a great trip! I mean, there really was a lot to unpack. Um, and it was it was fantastic to spend some time with the Thompson brothers, even if we could not physically get them together. Although if we had done that, we might not have survived the the weekend.
0: How busy are the Thompson Brothers? What type of play are their courses still receiving?
1: Yeah. Here. They are both up about twenty-five to thirty percent between last year over twenty nineteen and then continuing into twenty twenty one. Uh the exact numbers I forgot to write down, but about 30% increase over over 2019. And yet, the turf looks fantastic. Uh, Thad's given a little more leeway uh, as long as the tees and greens look great. The fairways don't have to be perfect, but they look pretty darn good. And Drew's work at, at East Aurora with his crew there is just, it, it's impeccable. And he, he has some incredible, incredible folks there uh, who you'll hear about in stories and, uh, and on Twitter. A retiring equipment tech who's been there for almost 40 years. Uh, the kind of folk who can save a club hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just by knowing what to do and knowing what to look for and being very good at their job. Jim Fleckenstein is, is tremendous. The kind, of, the kind of person every
0: course needs. Well, this was a lot of fun. It's been a great start of the summer for us, and hopefully, all of our listeners are having a great summer so far. I know things get really tough for many of our readers and listeners and followers in July and August because the the, weather is brutal and the expectations are high, and the golf courses are busy. So, uh, hopefully, people are hanging in there. And if you're going to take one thing away from this podcast, Matt, I think it's that if you want to see, Buffalo's minor league baseball team play. You better be near Trenton, New Jersey. That's correct.
1: The Buffalo Bisons of Trenton, New Jersey, not to be confused with the Toronto Blue
0: Jays of Buffalo. We'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back sooner than you think with Greens with Envy number 29 because we have a whole bunch of courses to discuss in New Jersey and Philadelphia. There's a lot to talk about.